Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Welcome. We're here with Dr. Millicent Knight, uh, recently of Essilor, and we're here to talk today about your pathway and how advocacy became uh, an, an element of, of your career. When you graduated from Illinois College of Optometry and opened a private practice, did you envision the role that advocacy and leadership would play in your life? I didn't really at the time, um, but I, I actually would take a few steps back and go back to my years as a student. That's really where the advocacy developed. When I realized early on, um, I believe it was actually my first year, that a lot of what we were learning, we were going to be able to do in the state I wanted to practice in. And for the amount of time, energy, money that we were putting into our preparing for our careers, that really didn't make sense. And it also meant that I wasn't going to be able to give the type of care I wanted to be able to give to my patients. Mm -hmm. So I really started advocating for a more comprehensive approach to eye care in the state of Illinois at that time. And that seems like sort of a a surprising push for a a young woman, a a student. You know, you don't really know this field too well, yet you kind of jumped in, I believe, writing letters? Yes, writing letters, going to the Capitol, talking to every legislator that would listen. And what I told them is that, you know, your constituents are going to expect a certain level of care. My classmates and I are all going to leave the state if we can't practice according to the way we were taught. And you're going to have a brain drain in the state, and your constituents are going to blame you. How did they react? They listened. Yeah. Because they know that the students are the future. They know that their constituents need good eye health care. Mm-hmm. And I think they were concerned. So yeah. I was actually surprised, as like I said, as a just a student, um, but I was passionate about it because I really wanted to make a difference with my life. I really wanted to make a difference in this field, and I saw that as a stumbling block. Right. And so the laws did change in Illinois. They did. You, you got expanded scope. Yes. And um, that continues, though, to be an issue, obviously. I mean, maybe not in Illinois today. Well, this but... is a legislative profession. Mm-hmm. So um, that is something that I did not know prior to starting optometry school. Um, but once I became aware of that, I stayed involved. And I continued to advocate not only for the profession, but for my patients. Mm-hmm. Because that was, you know, the oath of uh, practice that I took. Right was to make sure not only that I provided the best care, but I can't provide the best care if the laws are not established so that I can do that. So um, actually in my practice base, most of my um, legislators were patients. So I had an opportunity to talk to them on a regular basis. Um, They supported our efforts and I support theirs. Right, right. And so how did that open doors to you to, to eventually move into industry? and take this message to to such a broader platform? Well, so as part of that, I've always looked at industry, the individuals who are developing the tools, the resources, the products that benefit our patients, that I, as a practitioner, should be actively engaged in what my patients receive. Mm -hmm. So when I was asked to provide feedback on products or services that were being offered in the industry, I readily accepted that opportunity because, again, I wanted to make sure that I was providing the absolute best care for my patients. Um, So that 
uh, got me more interested in industry and probably became the pathway for me starting to shift um, the way that I advocated for my patients on a one-by-one -one basis mm -hmm. to being able to advocate for safe and healthy and effective products for them on a larger level through industry. And what has that uh, created for you? A, a, a pathway that probably you didn't expect as a, <laughs> as a student or, or even as an early practitioner. And yes, I would say both. You uh -huh. know, I, 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 like most optometrists at the time period that I graduated, expected to uh, retire from your practices, um, and that certainly was my intention as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but fortunately, I had an opportunity to see a little bit broader, and as much as I loved clinical care, and I still do, and um, I often say when people ask me, do you miss practice, and I say yes. Mm -hmm. And the day that I don't miss practice is a day I won't be effective in my current role. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I need to make sure that I stay actively engaged. Um, I stay very active in as much continuing education as I can um, because I always want to be an advocate that's informed. And on Facebook, I believe, I saw all kinds of photos <laughs> of your uh, Essilor initiatives. What, what was going on there with all the children in the pictures? Yes, well, you probably know that our mission is improving lives by improving sight. And we have this very lofty mission of eradicating poor vision within one generation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, what better place to start than to start with the children? Right. And so we developed a program to make sure that all of our employees felt actively engaged and all of our customers who wanted to participate. And it was sort of a competition, if you will. And we looked at all the employees who are maybe not based in Dallas, but maybe more remote in other areas, and who are actively engaged in the mission in their, act, in their individual communities. And we were able to look at the different projects they were involved in and actually award some of them an opportunity to do a mission on behalf of Essilor. And at the same token, we also did the same thing with our um, eye care professionals. And people actually nominated people that they knew in the industry that were doing great and important work on behalf of patients. Mm -hmm. And we also looked at those nominees and we selected some individuals to go on the trip. And we actually went to Thailand and we provided eye care um, and uh, vision screenings for probably about 1,500 students in two days in 94 degree weather. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds like a challenge. Uh, yeah. But the children are just amazing. Children are wonderful all over the world. Um, they always, you know, wanted to um, ask our names and whatever English they knew. And it was just great. It was just, just rewarding to know that you're contributing to not only improving their vision, but really improving their vision in a broader scope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that, I can't even imagine the impact that that's going to make for them, you know, in the coming years, in, as they learn, as they kind of come up with, with whatever their, their income stream yes, is going to be. Exactly. It, it all relies on, on, on You know, and when I do these kinds of trips, and I've done uh, a number of them now, um, I always look at it, too, from an even broader perspective as an American. Some of these children will never have another interaction with someone from the country, our country. And so in some ways we function in a diplomatic way of being able to see a kinder, gentler side of America. And I really love doing that too. Well, that's an interesting point because what is leadership? I mean, you know, it's not just being in charge, right? I yes. mean, what, what, how might you def define leadership in optometry? You know, leadership in optometry is really being engaged, learning what the issues are, what the challenges are, and what you can bring to the table to help solve them. Mm -hmm. And are 
Were your leadership skills innate or have you cultivated them? I think it's a little both. Mm -hmm. I think you're born naturally with some leadership skills, um, but I think, and particularly for women I might say, um, we sometimes find um, issues that are just not acceptable. Mm. And that pushes us to get engaged and to get involved in the, as it was for me as a student. Um, I would say I was, you know, may have been fairly shy at that time, but um, this was something that was really important and it was a, uh, it sort of uh, was a catalyst for getting me involved in advocacy and just seeing really the, the importance of advocating for yourself, advocating for your patients, your community, and then of course your profession. Right. And advocacy and leadership are not exactly the same. They're, they, they seem to be uh, con conjoined at, at parts. But yes. What does advocacy in the profession look like? Also engagement, but what else? Um, you know, this is something that I, I, I don't think that there's one clear definition for it. It's just, as, as I said earlier, being engaged making sure you know what the issues are, making sure that you continue to propel the profession in a direction that makes it palatable for the next group of leaders to come along, um, to make sure that we continue to look out for the um, health and wellness of all of our patients. Mm -hmm. They really, in many cases, you know, um, we've been talking a lot about consumer and consumer choice, and I've always believed that consumers should have choice, mm -hmm. um, but I believe that they expect to have safe choice. They expect to have innovative choices. And someone has to advocate for that. And, of course, advocacy begins even in, in, inside a practice, inside the exam room. You were, you were saying you had legislators in your chair. Uh, you know, how do you take advantage of that moment where you might be talking to an influencer? Well, you know, I always try to stay aware of what issues or what were challenges in the profession, what bills we were looking at, mm -hmm. um, what we needed to do to expand into providing better um, eye care for our patients. So I made sure that I stayed abreast of those issues and I took the opportunity, maybe while the patient was dilating, <laughs> uh, to say, let's talk about Senate Bill 123. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And uh, I found that they were very receptive to that. And I also, one of my um, state senators had an issue, a challenge with one of her constituents around an eye care issue, and she really didn't know how to resolve it. And she asked me if I would help her resolve it, and I actually took ownership of it and helped her get through that situation with that particular constituent. Uh, so it's developing relationships mm -hmm. where you support them and you help them, and, and conversely, they trust you when issues come up and they come to you for your opinion before they make a decision. And it's saying yes to those opportunities. Yes. And you have to say yes, you have to stay involved, and you can't uh, assume that someone else is going to do it. Which, which would be the easier path, right? <laughs> uh, You asked me, though, also about leadership and whether or not it's innate. And I, as I said, I think some of it is innate, some of it is also developed, and I've had a lot of mentoring opportunities and mentorship opportunities. Um, um, I got involved with advocacy and um, with some of the leaders in the state of Illinois to begin with and also around the country through the AOA. And it's just, it's just been a tremendous opportunity. But I also had a chance to uh, be part of a Kellogg Leadership Fellowship. And that was really a broadening experience for me um, outside of eye care, but just broadening my leadership skills in general. Mm -hmm. And it was a very prestigious program uh, that was competitive to get in. It was a three-year program. And I really, it really enriched my life tremendously. 
And so that that you were looking for that opportunity. Yes, I, mean, you, I was. You 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 decided that there was more you could do. I'm guessing. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. Looking for new opportunities means giving more of yourself. You're a mom. You're a wife. You're a practitioner. How did you decide that you could balance these things? Can you balance these things? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that you can necessarily balance them always effectively. Sometimes the ball drops in a particular area. Sometimes you have to ask for forgiveness, <laughs> uh, particularly from my family. <laughs> uh, but I think as, as long as people know that you're genuinely caring and interested in providing the best that you can, you know, that's really all that we can do. And sometimes you're going to give more to your career, your, 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 your patients, your practice, your business, uh, because you're not just providing eye care, you have staff you have to support, you have um, communities that you help support. And um, you know, all of those things are important and taking care of yourself is also important. All right. So what do you do to take care of yourself? I mean, ha have you, have you, what tips have you picked up over the years that, that promote your own well-being? Um, you know, I, it has varied at times, but I, I try and stay healthy. I try mm -hmm. and walk. I do walking meditations. Um, I try and eat well. I read a lot and mm -hmm. I try and get my rest. You know, as I moved out of practice advocacy uh, within the profession and went into uh, First Johnson & Johnson Vision and some of the advocacy work um, through that organization, company, and then um, moving into Essilor, I found a, a nice, neat thread. I had a mission that was all centered around providing the absolute best care I could to my patients when I was in my practice. When I moved to Johnson & Johnson Vision, they had a credo which resonated for me right away mm -hmm. and I consulted for them for a number of years first before going in to uh, become an employee there. Um, and then on to Essilor where we had this tremendous mission that I could really wrap my, my mind and my heart around and you know it's really important I think um, as practitioners to know the companies that you're involved in and know the things that um, they're engaged in and the tremendous efforts and work that goes into being able to pull through these missions. And, you know, often um, the companies are not able to effectively communicate that to, the, to our colleagues, and maybe they don't look for that, but that's something I always looked for. When I was working with the company, I wanted to know um, what drives the company mm -hmm. and, and what's their mission as it relates to providing the best in patient care. And it sounds like there's also the opportunity to say, what is this company doing that I can be a part of? Yes, what exactly. You, what you were saying with, with exactly. this uh, Essilor program, being right. able to go to Thailand as a, as a practitioner, right? Yes. Um, and uh, these, this wonderful group of difference makers, that's the name of the program. Mm -hmm. And it was really, uh, it's, it, it's, it's always just amazing to see how this sort of desperate group of people who've not really had much contact prior to, can come together for a common cause and really make it happen. And work their tail feathers off yes. in those, in those yes. two days. Yeah. Everyone worked really hard, everyone's engaged, and we wanted to make sure everyone was taken care of. And once the children were finished, so we started on the, the staff wow. and the employees and anyone else who needed the care. That's great. Um, but you know, that's what we were there for. And everyone chipped in and gave their absolute best. Is it difficult to become a leader in optometry today? 
You know, I, I don't think it's difficult to be a leader. You can start be, by being a leader in your practice, a leader in your community, mm -hmm. a leader in your state association, your regional associations, uh, and then, you know, um, look for opportunities or avenues to become involved in leadership on the um, national level as well, if that's your interest. But if that's not your interest, you know, plant where you are. Mm -hmm. Grow your leadership right where you are. Right. Um, because leadership within your own community reflects well for optometry. And I guess the advocacy portion of it is, is part of that. I mean, if you're keeping the patient at the center, that's advocacy. Absolutely. And um, that's always been my mantra. Whatever we're going to do in terms of um, solutions, tools, products, it has to center around the patient because that has to be the priority. As I started earlier when we were talking about advocacy and some of my very early beginnings of advocacy, um, I have to say that, I, that the thing I want to impress upon those who are students now and those who are new in their career is that it's never too early to start your advocacy. You know, sometimes people feel that they uh, are not adequately prepared to go and talk to legislators. But in this field, you are the expert. Mm. They are depending on you to educate them. And if you do nothing more than educate their staff, the legislators, um, then you have done a tremendous service, not only for the profession, but most importantly for the patients. And with the depth of optometric education now, the new grads are coming out with a lot of clinical knowledge that, that isn't um, you know, in the mainstream. The optometrists that are graduating from schools today are so much better prepared than, and, than any other time in our history. And not just as eye care professionals, but I've always believed that the, um, the optometrists and really the practice of the future should look at the whole body while focusing on the eyes. And the AOA will tell you that there are over 265 diseases that you can detect through the eyes. It's an amazing opportunity to tell the value of eye care professionals and the comprehensive eye examination and making sure that the doctor-patient relationship stays in place because without that a number of patients who end up with really catastrophic conditions could have been diagnosed much earlier by simply getting that comprehensive eye examination. You, you mentioned that many of the legislators were your patients but even if the patient isn't a legislator or this is still information worth sharing with patients. Yes, every single patient that sits in your chair deserves to not only have you talk about their specific findings, but why those findings are important mm -hmm. and what you're doing every step of the examination because that's where the value comes in. That's when the patient knows that you are looking at them as an individual and that you are ensuring that they are as healthy as can be and that there's a reason to come back year upon year uh, and have their annual eye examination. And as a bonus, that person could be, you know, the head of the Kiwanis Club or, or, or somebody else who has influence in the medical community, the, the community at large, something like that. That's yeah. how practices grow. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to communicate to other practitioners in different disciplines about the value that you provide to patients and also the support that you can give their practices. Um, I worked a lot with my pediatrician in the neighborhood and several other uh, physicians and I gave reports to them after I saw their patients, uh, particularly if it was an area that was directly related to what they do for the patient, and I continued to monitor, monitor those patients and communicate with them on a regular basis. You know, we're part of the healthcare fabric 
and we have to act that way. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that we're actively engaged in making sure that patients see us, the healthcare community see us as an integral part of the healthcare fabric. At this moment, are you bullish on optometry? I'm absolutely bullish on optometry because we as optometrists can make it be whatever we want it to be. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.